What's up, peeps? Your boy, Ryan Alter, back. Episode 14, Thursday night, October 17th, 2019. Sports talk, unfiltered, unapologetic. I got a confession to make, too, to start off the show. I recorded an episode last night. I didn't rush it or anything. It was, you know, decent. And then I re-listened to it. And for the first time since I've been doing this, my wife was actually sitting next to me towards the end of it. And she looks over. She's like, man. And I said, yeah, I know. That's trash. I mean, it was it was really, really kind of just some good takes, but just lazy with the way I, I presented it and, and a bunch of this kind of ums and pauses and other stuff that just sounded terrible. So I had to kind of come back and redeem myself. I, I couldn't put it out for everyone to listen to. I don't care, you know, if I have one listener, 25, 50, 3,000 or a million. There's just you have to have some type of pride in what you're putting out there. So. Anyway, I wanted to welcome you guys to episode 14. I'm going to talk about a 49ers 5-0 start and what's ahead for them. I feel it's a about worthy time to kind of discuss that and, and some thoughts I have on the team and their current sitting. I'm going to talk about week five, kind of recap a little bit. Week six, I'm sorry, I apologize. Week six recap, week seven coming up. We're about a third of the way through the NFL now. And then we're going to hit the baseball playoffs to close out the show. So anyway, I wanted to start off talking about the Niners. And the Niners are 5-0 for the first time since 1990. So you're talking about almost 30 years. I'm about the same time today actually is the anniversary of the Bay Area earthquake, which a lot of us who were here and grew up in the Bay remember that vividly. And it was a crazy, crazy day and night. And um, it's nice to see the Niners winning again. Me and my wife were at the last game against the Browns, the last home game, sorry, um, on Monday night. It was an awesome, awesome display of of football on their part. And what I think is the national media to the 49ers benefit, in my opinion, has really, really not given them their due. And that's been a huge, huge, again, benefit to them because they're not being talked about even at 5-0, they're being doubted. And what, what's going on is, and I was discussing this with uh, my, my brother, Bob, about this. He's kind of reiterated this to me a few times is their locker room's hungry still. And that's part of the reason why they're not getting respect and they're not dissatisfied being three and oh, four and oh, five and oh, they, the Niners think that they're still not being viewed as a contender, which to be honest with you, when you're a third of the way through the season, it's a little bit of a joke. Some teams can kind of show their, their, uh, you know, toughness and start off five and oh, and they haven't played anybody type thing. But I think, when you're five and zero, you usually have some realness to you. I, I highly doubt this team's going to go the last eleven games and go, you know, four and seven down the stretch and finish nine and seven. Now it's possible, but I highly doubt it. So I wanted to kind of highlight some things about this squad that, that that I think are the reasons why they're sitting where they are. Let's start off first with their defensive line. The defensive line has. One superstar, at least in my opinion, that's DeForest Buckner. Now, defensive tackles in this game don't get lauded and praised that much because they're in a thankless position a lot of time, not maybe getting a ton of sacks. They're supposed to block the run, take up two blockers, etc. Guys like Aaron Donald, Warren Sapp in the past, a few others, really are superstars at that position, but they're they're far and few between. It doesn't happen that often. Buckner has an argument for second-best defensive tackle in the league after Aaron Donald. You're talking about probably him, Hakeem Hicks, 
from the Bears and also Fletcher Cox from the Eagles. And then it's everybody else. That's kind of the four of them. I think he is a primetime player and, in my opinion, the best player on their whole entire 53-man roster. Now, when you look up and down that line, they got first-round draft pick, second overall Nick Bosa. Bosa leads the NFL in quarterback pressure rate, efficiency for pressuring um, the quarterback on passing downs. He has just been an animal. And a lot of people haven't seen it completely because they want him to have you know, 10 sacks through five games, but I think he's got four. <laughs> and not only that, when he's in there, he makes a difference. I mean, he just, he's shoving guys around like they're ragdolls. This kid has superstar potential written all over him. The sky's the limit. It's just him putting it together and staying healthy. Then you have other guys like Ronnie Blair, the third, uh, the old dusty Ronnie Blair is a solid little player and he comes off the bench. Solomon Thomas, third overall pick who's been kind of a bust for them. He comes off the bench. They start Eric Armstead on that line, sometimes next to Buckner. Then you're rushing two guys at the quarterback like they did with Mayfield. They're like six, seven or six, eight. I mean, most quarterbacks can't even see over that, let alone throw passes to guys. You also have D Ford who they traded a second rounder for who's one of the premier rushers in the league. Now Ford's got 15 sack potential written all over him. So the D line is constantly rotating guys in, staying fresh, but mainly through five weeks, okay, of, of games, they've shown a consistency to rush the passer and harass the quarterback. And what that really just does in that league, which is a passing league, is this causes problems for the other team's offense. Then you go behind the Niners D line and you step up to their linebackers. Quan Alexander, who they signed from Tampa coming off an injury, and Fred Warner, who's in his second year, are just a perfect match for this scheme. Robert Salad, who I've bagged on a lot the past couple of years, um, you know, he's starting to get his due now this year. I don't really, I mean, what the hell can I say about the guy this year? You know, he I have nothing bad to say about him. The schemes work, the players have worked. I mean, it's, they don't look out of position. They are not missing tackles, really. Um, you know, and I, I got to eat some crow on salad because I I've been ripping his ass for about two and a half years and, you know, he's finally kind of coming into his own and, and having a, having the boys show up a secondary, which has Sherman, who's still a really good player, probably one of the smarter players in the whole league. Um, you got Akella Witherspoon who has shown vast improvement, at least compared to the last two years, in my opinion. And then the safeties are even playing well, uh, Jaquiski, Tart, and Ward. You know, us Niner fans have bagged on Jimmy Ward the whole four or five years he's been here. And a lot of it's because he's gotten smoked one and he's always hurt too. But Ward and Tart have actually played well when, when given the opportunity. So the Niners defense is just hot right now. Now, I don't know if they're going to keep it up the whole season. I'd like to think that they are. One, because I'm a fan and we all are biased in our own way at times and two i think the logical side of me is saying hey this is my squad but given the way the defensive line rotates in and keeps pressure on the opposing team's quarterback it just sets up the linebackers in the back four to make plays and do their jobs and i think that they're going to stay in games because of that, despite the injuries they have on offense uh, part of the other reason that I think that they've started 5-0, let's go to kind of my second main point here, is Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan has been an offensive play caller in the NFL for over 10 years now. And he looks like he's like 27 years old. But he's been calling plays for a long time. He started, I don't even know which franchise it was, but I want to say it was in Washington for three or four years under Mike. 
they that whole thing didn't work out. Then he went to Atlanta, and then now he's been with the Niners. This is his third year. Shanahan is the step above the curve. Now, people like Beanbag and Sean McVay, and rightfully so. He went to the Rams, turned them around to an 11 or 12 one team his first two years there, took them to the Super Bowl in his second year. But McVay, to me, was under Shanahan. Okay, Shanahan hasn't had the extreme luck that McVay has with scheduling and a quarterback position. He is first year. He finally got Garoppolo and then they won five straight games to end the year. Then Garoppolo gets hurt early in his second year with the Niners Shanahan second year, of the Niners and Garoppolo's by chance. So I think even given those circumstances, the Niners finished and I believe six and 10 the first year and they were terrible last year at three and 13, but they were still in a ton of those games both years and both years. I want to believe that their offense was I'm going to say top 15 in both yards and scoring. And I think Shanahan, he basically just knows how to call plays and scheme guys open. More importantly, he just knows how to get guys open. He's really, really good at dissecting opposing defenses and calling the right plays and schemes um, to score some points and get yardage on these teams. So to be honest with you, it kind of doesn't matter in a small way. If, if, if Bethard, or Mullins or Garoppolo's out there as far as them scheming and getting guys open. But where the difference comes in in that little quandary there is who's going to execute and make the right play. And that brings me to my third point. Jimmy Garoppolo, especially by the national media and fans, has not been given the rightful opportunity. (laughs) This guy's about to start his 16th game on Sunday. Are you people listening to this? 16th game. So he'll have reached one full season as a starter this upcoming Sunday. This is like his seventh year in the league. He sat behind Brady for years, got his opportunity for like two weeks, broke his shoulder or something while on the Patriots, had to recover from that. That's how Brissett got his start because Garoppolo got hurt and before Brady was going to come back. And I think that was the suspension year for the whole uh, deflate gate crap or whatever it was. Anyway, what I have to say about Jimmy is this kid is poised. He's calm. He's collective, and he just has that it factor, the old famous it factor that sports fans or hardcore NFLers talk about. We talk about that, right? Against the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Niners tried to do everything in their power to just give that game away, okay? They turned the ball over five times, I think four in the first court, uh, half. First pick was the, you know, I forget who got the pick, but it was off Breda's hands, hit it both of his hands, he popped it up in the air. It was just an easy pick, it was an inexcusable drop by him. Next pick was Dante Pettis on the left side running a slant. He got alligator arms and wasn't running the route hard enough. And then they fumbled Mozart maybe twice or someone else. I can't remember. Just flat out giving the ball away to the Steelers. They tried to give that game to Pittsburgh. And what Jimmy do with McGlinchey, I think, and Staley out, and I don't know if Actually, McGlinchey might have played that game, but their left tackle, Staley, was definitely out, and McGlinchey was getting burnt by his guy. I don't know if it was um, Stefan Tuitt or whoever was on, you know, TJ Watt. The Steelers had Garoppolo on his back the whole entire game, and Jimmy got up after the five turnovers and being on his back, getting hit, and just kept making throw after throw, dart after dart, and keeping them in that game. Then he won it at the end with a throw to Pettis with like four guys on him that he just had the stones to make. He has the it factor and he's going to get even, even better with experience, which he doesn't have yet as he's starting his 16th game this upcoming Sunday. 
But Garoppolo has an NFL arm. He has the stones to make throws that guys are afraid to make. And he has just the feel for the game. I can't even tell you how many times in the first five weeks this year, this guy has made throws to his third and fourth read. He is calm and collective. And I'm grateful that we got him from the Patriots after he sat behind Brady for a while. But bottom line is the Niners are worthy of this 5-0 start. They've earned it. They've played great defense all around, and they've scored points and marched the ball down the field on, on the other team's defense. So this team's for real, and they're here, and this is just the beginning. And I'm hoping that it's as early as this year that they're competing for a chip. I think that's a you know a little bit uh, looking ahead, but you never know. You know, the Rams in 99, they were 4-12 and 12 the year before. Dick Vermeil got there. They got Kurt Warner. They won the bowl. So crazier things have happened. But I'm, I'm proud of the Niners. I'm proud we're back. I'm glad we're back. And it, it's nice to have your team competing again. All right. Let's move on to a little NFL recap here. Week 6 and preview for Week 7. Uh, I got to be honest. As I am... Speaking this out, I just saw that Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, went out with an injury. I think it's undisclosed right now, but God, you hate to see that. You're talking about the game's most prolific and marketable player at the moment. Um, I love watching Patrick Mahomes play. I got to be honest, man. It's it's must-see football every time he's out there. And I hope he's okay and makes it back. That It's you know compelling stuff for the game. If they're on a collision course with the Patriots, they're actually still spanking the Broncos. I think it was like 30 to six or something when I looked, but anyway, I hope Patrick's okay and, and makes his way back next week and is fine. Hopefully it's nothing serious. I wanted to go over some stuff about week six, what I thought a couple thoughts I had. We talked about the Raiders a little bit last week, upsetting the Colts, and then they went on to upset the bears in London. Well, the Colts then came back after losing the Raiders and they beat the Chiefs in Kansas City. Then Kansas City lost again at home to the Texans, which isn't, you know, anything to be ashamed of. The Texans are a really solid team. But it's just, you know, gamblers beware. This is a parody-driven league, okay, where anything can happen week to week. Cam Newton goes down. The Panthers are 0-2. They have their backup, Kyle M, come in. He wins four straight. Now the Panthers are 4-2. I mean, there's just so much that goes on in this league that's unpredictable. Um, the Vikings, you know, they're left for dead by a lot of people. People trashing Kirk Cousins, including some uh, Zach Brown, I think, the linebacker for the Eagles. Next thing you know, the Vikings pound the Eagles 38-20. to 20. So um, I think that this league, it, anything can happen week to week. Seattle is one of those teams for a few years now. They're just they play rugged defense. They run the ball a ton, and then Russell Wilson is just a scrappy quarterback. He gets it done, and he's very efficient, headsy, tough. He's got a great arm for throwing the deep ball, um, even inter- inter- intermediate passes, everything. So the Seahawks are sitting at five and one after beating the Browns in Cleveland on a thriller, and Russell Wilson, along with Mahomes needs MVP consideration. Now, I think if Mahomes, I, like I said, I hope he comes back, but if he doesn't, Wilson, I think, will be the front runner for MVP this year. I have no problem if Russell Wilson wins MVP. I mean, he means everything to that team. So I wanted to talk about a couple other things that went on uh, that week. I thought about talking about some of these, you know, turd games where the unbeatens are 
or I'm sorry, teams that are offers are playing each other like the Redskins and Dolphins, but after second thought, they're not, they don't even seem like worth mentioning. So I want to talk a little bit about the class of the NFC, the Saints. Now, I think the Niners and Saints right now are the one and two in some manner, shape, or form, the best teams in the NFC. I think the Niners, the way they spanked the Rams last week, proved they're for real. The Saints are for real, too, because they're sitting there winning with their backup quarterback. Now, Teddy Bridgewater is a solid NFL quarterback. He's nothing too special, but he's got a good head on his shoulders. He's a leader, and he can make the throws when necessary. And the Saints just have a good all-around team, just like the Niners. They can run the ball. They play great defense, and they're in good hands with Bridgewater. They're they're smart for signing him to back up far. Um, God, far. I'm sorry, Drew Brees. So they couldn't ask for anything more. They're sitting five and one. I forget who they play this week. They have a pretty tough game though, and. Um, they're still waiting Drew Brees to come back, but they're in good hands, obviously. So Ravens took care of business, beating the Bengals, who are now 0-6. They're 4-2. and And I think this is starting to shape up a little bit past third way through the season for some of these divisions, right? Patriots are leading the East. Chiefs leading the West. Now, we don't know with Mahomes, but still, those are two front runners to finish as a 1-2 and two in the AFC. Then you got Baltimore, I think, is going to be the team that comes out of the North. I think Cleveland is just too far falling away. Pittsburgh, they're just not going to be able to do it with Mason Rudolph or their other guy. They just can't. So the Browns have the talent, but they suck. They're like two and five. It's just it's a hole for them to dig out of. Now, what's in the Browns' favor is that the Chargers stink too. So I think when you're looking at this wild card spot, I think you're looking at the other team who doesn't win the South out of Texas. I'm sorry, Houston Texans and Indy. Right, one of them's going to win the South. I think the other probably squeaks in. Now, the other wild card team is possibly going to be Buffalo, or hey, you know what? I can't even count out the Raiders right now. Raiders, Raiders are sneaky, man. They come in and play Green Bay this week. Now, the Raiders beat Green Bay this week in Lambeau. They're going to be four and two, and they're going to be looking for real. <laughs> and I was one of the guys. Definitely, because I got no problem piling on the Raiders. I hate their guts. But, hey, after hard knocks and the whole Antonio Brown thing, it looked dysfunctional there. And who, who could blame anyone for thinking that? Or thinking Chucky, you know, just doesn't know what he's kind of doing after the first couple weeks. But then the Raiders, you know, they put together some solid game plans, get a few sneaky wins, really good wins, really, when you look at it deep that they beat Indy and Indy, then fly to London and beat the Bears, which is the best defense in the NFL. And Gruden, what he's really doing is running the football and playing safe football. He's got David Carr, sorry, Derek Carr, playing mistake-free. And they're playing solid defense. I think Gruden needs some damn credit. <laughs> you know, the Raiders are 3-2. and two. They beat Green Bay this week. They're 4-2. and two. And if they get in the playoffs somehow, even as a wild card or whatever, I think Gruden should get coach of the year or some at least votes for it. All right. I've always liked Gruden, so I'm biased in that manner. I just I don't know what it is about the guy. He just he's likable for me. You know, his personality is kind of no nonsense attitude at times, his confidence. He's just a character that I've always been kind of drawn to in the NFL. So um I'm not rooting for that to happen, obviously. <laughs> but I just want to say, man, that I've been impressed by the Raiders the last few weeks. They got jacked on their schedule. And, you know, the NFL always kind of screws it to them when they can. But they've made the best of it. 
So they got a huge, 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 huge game this week coming up. Dallas losing to the Jets in New York is pathetic. Okay, I know the Jets, I, I'm pretty sure they had a bye week, but and they were at home. But Dallas is basically 3-3 three and three now. They lose to the good teams, and they beat the scrubs. And you're not going to contend for a deep playoff run or a Super Bowl title doing it that way. It's just not. I don't know what needs to change in Dallas because they have a really well-rounded team. They got a great running game, really, really good defense, good defensive players, one of the best offensive lines, and they love Prescott. They got Amari Cooper who's making plays. He's like top five in the league in receiving yards and TDs. But for whatever reason, when the chips are on the table against solid teams, they seem to fold a little bit, and I think it's becoming a problem for them. I don't know, you know, that confidence aspect when it comes to crunch time, these other teams, to me, they, they just sniff that out, you know. So let, let's go ahead and get into a little bit some of these matchups coming up in Week 7. I really feel like there's going to be some separation half uh, approaching halfway through the season for some of these games. Now, the Rams play the Falcons, okay? Rams are 3-3, three and three, Falcons are 1-5. and five. I'll be shocked at this point, if especially if Atlanta keeps up this record and how they're playing. If Dan Quinn still has his job at the end of the year, I know he's going to get fired for sure by the end of the year, but I'll be surprised if he even makes it you know, towards the end of the year. They just got too much talent, especially on offense, to have this record. Now, the Rams are coming to town. The Rams need to right the ship. Rams is Atlanta. They're looking at, what is it, two and three. I'm sorry, three and four. Well, I mean, you're talking about three and four at seven games in with nine left. I mean, you're. You're you're basically having to go six and three, the final nine to finish nine and seven. That's a hard task in this league. It just is. Buffalo plays the Dolphins, who are winless. So that's probably going to be another win for Buffalo, who's going to sit at five and one. I mean, they're really approaching this wild card thing. Good. Jaguars and Bengals. Again, let's not talk about crappers. Bengals and Lions. Huge game especially for the Lions. Lions have gotten jobbed. They really have. But they have to just suck it up because it is what it is. Their record's not going to change, right? They're 2-2-1. Two, two, and one. They probably should be 5-0, and oh, but they're not. They're 2-2-1. Two, two, and one. They're hosting the Vikings, who are 4-2. and two. Now, they win this game. They climb back into that race kind of. They lose. They slip to 2-3-1, and one, and the Minnesota goes to 5-2 and two, with Green Bay playing the Raiders. So this is a huge weekend for the NFC North, without question. Colts and... Texans play each other. Huge game for both. Colts are three and two. Texans four and two. So this is going to give that winner of this game a leg up on the division with a win over the other opponent and them playing each other in this game. 49ers at Redskins. I'm a little nervous about this game, not because I think the Niners won't be taking them lightly and they're still hungry, but I just I don't want the Niners to play flat and somehow walk out of there without winning. But at this point, to be totally honest with you, I just feel like the Niners are just too good of a football team to leave Washington without a win. And I think it's a it's a must win for them because of that circumstance. And how the last six of their schedule shapes up, I think they know that. I think they know they need to win this game to, to keep pace in the NFC race. And they could be 6-0 and walking out of there. And, and that's the motivation. So Saints at Bears. That's who I was thinking of. I couldn't think of the Bears. Saints play at the Bears. What a huge game. 
Bears coming off that loss to the Raiders in a bye week. They're three and two, Saints five and one, and it's in Chicago. You know, Chicago needs to win this game. And it's against a tough opponent at home off a of bye week, but they need to win it. They're looking up at the Packers who are four and one or five and one. And they're looking up at the Vikings who are four and two. So if Minnesota somehow takes business against the Lions, and let's say Green Bay does beat the Raiders, the Bears are behind the eight ball. I mean, there ain't there's no question about it. They need to win this game against the Saints. You can't fall to three and three and possibly two or even three games or whatever behind the Packers and Vikings. Okay. This is too hard of a hole to climb out of Ravens at Seahawks. What a great game. Baltimore four and two Seattle five and one, you know, I still would expect Seattle to somehow squeak out this game and win it because that's just kind of in their DNA. It's how they work. They just find a way and get it done. Now, as much as I hate it, I respect it. I respect Pete Carroll as a coach. I respect Russell Wilson. I respect the the defense. Who I don't respect are all those schmucks in the stands, the 12s. Those geeks just arrived like three years ago and act like they're hardcore this and that. But we all know those guys are jabrones. What's the last game I was going to talk about, guys? Let's see. The Eagles and Cowboys. Well, that's kind of straightforward, just like the, the Vikings and Lions. Eagles and Cowboys are both 3-3. Three and three. It's in Dallas on Sunday Night Football. That's a great game. Uh, I don't know who's going to win that game. I would kind of expect the Eagles to because Dallas is playing a formidable team. So we'll see how it ends up. But, you know, that wire race, sorry, race down to the wire, whatever you want to call it for the NFC East, it's probably going to be between Dallas and, and Philly, and it's probably going to come down to the last week. I think that the other team has still a good chance of getting into the playoffs in the NFC because I think that there's going to be some of these wildcard teams that are going to weed themselves out when it's all said and done. I don't know if the Bears are going to end up being the ones to make it in also or if the Vikings and or Lions are going to falter or stay in the mix. But I have a feeling that Dallas, the Eagles, whoever doesn't win the division out of those two, Lions, Vikings, Bears, and Rams are all going to be in that mix. At this point, the Niners are my squad, and I'm biased, like I said a million friggin' times, but I would be shocked if the Niners didn't get in the playoffs, especially if they beat Washington this week and start 6-0. I mean, you're talking about a final 10 games where they'd have to go 4-6 and six to even finish 10-6. and six. So if the Niners beat the, the Redskins this week, they're in pretty much. Guys, let's hit the baseball playoffs real quick. I have a few thoughts. When I was recording this last night, the Yanks and Astros got game four got postponed. Now the Astros took that game four tonight, so they're up three one. It looks kind of inevitable that they're gonna they're gonna close out the Yankees. And I'd be shocked if they didn't close out the Nationals. I know the Nationals um, are good good feel good story, including to myself, but at the end of the day, um, you know, I just think that Houston is just, they're just way too good overall. <laughs> I mean, they have so many guys that are playoff tested and can just rake. And then they got Verlander, Garrett Cole, and Greenkey. So it's it's just such a formidable rotation you're facing on top of the lineup you got to go through with all these guys, you know, Bregman and Springer and Altuve and 
I mean, the list goes on. So I'm actually, you know, I like Houston, to be honest with you. I do. I just, I like their team. I like the way they put it together and, and how competitive they are. And I think it's kind of cool. They're building a little dynasty there when they get their second ring in like what, three years or four, at least. Um, I like dynasties, right? It's good for the, it's good for these sports to have these franchises that put together these string of uh, championship competing years. So I can't, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about this with Clayton Kershaw. Kershaw, I can't stand the Dodgers, first of all. I've always hated Dodgers and their players. It doesn't really matter to me. <laughs> but Kershaw has been a generational type pitcher. Okay, you're talking, you know, Randy Johnson, Pedro Martinez-esque. This kid has been unbelievable his whole career. But for whatever reason, he can't put it together in the playoffs. And you know, you look in a game clinching moment where the Dodgers, I think they were leading at the time against the Nats and Dave Roberts, you know, dusty Dave, he puts in Kershaw and it's like, you could feel the balloon air popped and sinking in the crowd and, and even people and probably watching on the TV. I mean, it was just like a moment, like, what are you doing, bro? You know, I'm sitting here on my couch or in my car, listening on the radio or whatever, thinking like, what are you thinking? I mean, come on. He just has a penchant for gagging in the playoffs. People can sit there and make all the BS excuses they want for Kershaw. Go ahead. But you just, the proof's in the pudding. You just, it's undeniable at this point. Okay. You went and started Walker Bueller in game one of the series. Okay, you could have started Kershaw in game one, but you didn't. What does that say to yourself right there? And then you're in a game that you need to win, okay? You pull your starter, and you end up putting this guy in. He gives up a bomb, and then you leave him in. I mean, he should be fired for that alone, for leaving the guy in for the second bomb. Knowing that he doesn't have the confidence or the resume or record in the playoffs. Quit living on his name rep and Hall of Fame career. You need to just win, period, which is why you started Walker Bueller over him to begin with to start the series. So why do you go to Kershaw in those moments of crunch time knowing that he doesn't have the poise or moxie in those situations? He just doesn't. Now, you can say what you want about their careers, but if you were to offer me you want to be Clayton Kershaw or you want to be Madison Bumgarner, I'll take Bumgarner every day of the week because Bumgarner has three rings and sacked up when he needed to in the playoffs. And that's just facts, Jack. I mean, it really is. Will Kershaw be higher on the totem pole probably in MLB history? Much to Giants fans' chagrin, yeah. I mean, the guy is a three- or four-time Cy Young winner. Bumgarner hasn't sniffed a Cy Young. But I'll tell you what. Any Giants fan and any rational fan would take Bumgarner's career over uh, Clayton Kershaw's because of the fact he's helped the Giants win three chips and he's played his best when it mattered the most. It's just undeniable at this point. So uh, having that rant over, I still, you know, I do feel bad for Clayton because him and his wife are out there, you know, really just 
donating to a ton of charities and he's a total good guy, man. I mean, I, I think that's the type of guy when you walk by on the street and you know, you drop your hat or flip and fall, slip and fall or whatever. I think he's a genuine good guy. He's going to help you up, grab your hat for you, give it back to you, whatever. He's not some asswipe athlete or entertainer that's going to shine you. So in that regard, I like Clayton. I, I think he's a good guy, and he's been a Hall of Fame pitcher start to finish. It kind of sucks seeing him bearing his face in the towel on the sideline on the bench and just seeing him fail like he has. But being he's on the Dodgers, I just don't mind it. I just I can't stand the Dodgers and their loser-ass fans, too, beating people up in the parking lot all the time and stuff like that. So I'm not trying to pile on. It's just I've always thought those guys are scumbags. Anyway. I am looking forward to seeing Houston in the series. I hope the Nats give them a little bit of uh, a push. I'll, I'll still, even though I like Houston as a team, probably be rooting for the Nats because they're an underdog. And um, the Yankees are three down 3-1, three, so they're not completely dead and out yet. I might be jinxing them, which is fine. I don't mind seeing the Yankees play the Nationals either. The Yankees in the World Series just seems normal, right? As many times as they've done it, they just seem like they belong there. So we'll see if Houston closes them out. I would find it. Highly probable they do. And then we'll look forward to uh, the World Series, Houston and Nationals. All right, guys. I want everyone to have a safe week, safe weekend. I'll be in L.A. with the wife and the Bob and Shug, Heather, hitting up Hollywood Horror Nights on Saturday. I don't know what we're getting into Friday. It's Whitney Cummings and other acts at 10 o'clock and maybe a couple of fine meals. But looking forward to the fun weekend. And I want everyone out there to enjoy the games this weekend. Make sure you stay tuned in, check everything out, check out the pod, tell your friends, and I'll talk to you guys soon.